As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. Thank you for joining me. My guest today is Fox Soccer's lead analyst, Stu Holden, former midfielder for Bolton Wanderers. He's also a former U.S. international and an Olympian, an MLS All-Star, an MLS Best 11 selection, and a two-time MLS Cup champion with the Houston Dynamo. Stu Holden and John Strong will also be the lead announced team for Fox Sports during the World Cup in Qatar. Stu, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, thanks for the uh, for the intro. It's always fun to relive the the glory days, uh, as I have behind me when I walk in my office every day. I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to play soccer. <laughs> I was gonna say, I really wanted to say Bolton Wanderers legend. I mean, I, I don't know, like the 30 appearances, but still, you were very well liked. Yeah, like, who the you guy know, there? 30, 30 doesn't feel like. How, I mean, I was there for four years in the end, yeah. just because of the the different injuries and stuff, and. I have this like really great relationship with the Bolton fans and I, I still get in touch with them all the time and they still tweet at me. And really that's like a club that kind of captured my heart in a way and was the first club to give me an opportunity in Europe. And uh, it's one that, yeah, I think it was a big case of like, Hey, I had some, a really great year, another, you know, kind of good year. And then it was always fighting to get back, but like the support and the way in which they, you know, gave that back to me, I think goes, a, goes such a long way with me. I mean, whenever, I prepare for these interviews. I mean, you've got to hit up Wikipedia. I mean, it's not, <laughs> not everything on Wikipedia is true, but there's a great picture. There's two pictures I thought were great. One, you're, you're standing next to Nicholas Anelka, uh, former Chelsea, France international. And then there's the, the header image for your Wikipedia page. Producer Mike Zimmerman, can we get that up? Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Like the Look model at this. face. I love I it. I mean, it's probably one of the best pictures on Wikipedia of, of any former footballer. <laughs> I've never seen a better. All right, picture. I feel like I need to update this at some point. Like, how do I, how do I do that? That's the whole the thing with Wikipedia, and I think it still exists on my Wikipedia, my like gaming background. Oh and wow! For, for years, I like tried to delete that, and then it kept getting re-added. And then I got asked about it at one point in a, a ESPN article, and then I referenced it. So then it became like out there in, in the interwebs to where like it could never be deleted. And then I learned to like just embrace it because it's part of my past. But you know, I felt like it was super nerdy back then. It's great, man. It's great. I mean, it's like, again, I, I agree. Like, how do you change it? Wikipedia is like, you can edit anything you want, but apparently 
the header image is there to stay forever. But I mean, this is it's quite the look. It's quite yeah, the, the overcoat and the like. Yeah, it's it's not a bad look. I don't hate it. I don't, there could no, be a I, lot worse out there. Oh hell yeah, embrace that. Um, but again, this isn't. We're not here to roast. Stu We're not here to <laughs> I'm roast. I'm down with a roast too, by the way. If you want to roast, like, we, <laughs> we can start roasting all my colleagues. Whatever you want. Oh god, I could do a whole show on that. Um, I, I do want to cover a few things today. We're going to focus on the U.S. Men's National Team, obviously. Uh, you had the call against Saudi Arabia the other day. You were like audibly frustrated at one point in the game. Like I would like borderline agitated. Now a few days removed and we've read everything. We've heard everything about the team, the concerns. Where are you today with this U.S. Men's National Team? Like what is it? Where, where are you? What are your initial thoughts and first impressions? Yeah, I think one of the hardest the parts of, of my job, and this is a, it's a good problem. I love my job. I've, I think one of the greatest jobs in the world, I get to talk about soccer for, for a living, but I think my job ultimately, I always try to come back to this is to deliver clear, concise uh, commentary analysis um, and do that with emotion, but also with like a measured approach. And one of the hardest things I think to do, uh, because even when, you know, like I know <laughs> I see you on social media too, like, the, one of the hardest things I think we have as a fan base and as a soccer nation is we, we lack the ability sometimes to analyze and ha, uh, and take our emotions out to speak without hyperbole to like go from this is the best thing I've ever seen to the worst thing I've ever seen in a matter of like three seconds. And we, we ride this uh, ride this constant wave. And then me during games, I try to not get so up and down, but to be in that. And I, I think when I was feeling during that game was this was a game in, in an empty stadium against an opponent that was not great, no. uh, that will not get out of their group in the World Cup. And then, you know, like thinking, like, what are we getting out of this? And and then also, like, you know, was this game worth playing at that point? And then how do I analyze that with with while still, still being honest, like what was on the field was not good. Like, I can't sit there and say, hey, but like, but in a month, this is going to be different. But at the World Cup, it's a different circumstance. But like. The, the team didn't play well. The team played without intensity. The team didn't score a goal again. Um, we didn't have our A group. Yes. Uh, all the other circumstances of injuries. and But like who does right now? So, yeah. you know, I, it's a challenging window. I know that they wanted to play the game in Europe. I get that. It's less travel for these guys. It's less smile on the legs. But to me, even in hindsight, uh, I would rather have flown back to the U.S., played two games in Florida won against Argentina in front of 80,000 fans and had this like big send off where it yeah. feels big. Like that didn't feel big. No, that at all. I, I remember my send off game in 2010. Uh, it was against uh, Turkey, but it was in Philadelphia. Uh, we played in front of a packed house at Lincoln financial. And it was just like that moment before we hopped on the plane and we all thought like, this is real now. And mm. that team's not going to have that. No. Uh, and so look, it's, I think it's an opportunity loss. I don't think we learned anything out of that game. Uh, I, I, you know, the guys didn't perform well. A guy like Pepe gets his chance. I think he had 13 touches in his whole time on the field. And so, yeah, like if you're a fan, like ultimately if you're watching that, I said it throughout the broadcast and that's why I got animated as well is like, if you're a fan watching that and you wanted something to give you some hope or excitement about the world cup, aside from the fact that like, we're back, like that's exciting. Yeah. But like it doesn't give you a confidence we're going to get out of the group. And that's what I think people wanted to see. As a former international and just a pro at the, at the highest levels, like why do players come out flat? Like I've asked a lot of professionals this. And sometimes I've gotten answers like 
I don't know. It just happens. It can be a chemistry issue. It can be a belief issue, a confidence issue. At this stage of the process under Greg Berhalter, and like you mentioned, like one of the last times we're going to be together before the World Cup, where why was there a lack of intensity? Like, wh- what do you take away from that? Yeah, and again, like I'm trying to put myself in their position as players, right? Like into the mentality of that team. I'm thinking about and how and what I ultimately landed on because I thought a lot about this after like the game. This is like you're going to probably have 24, 25 guys going to World Cup that have never been to a World Cup before. Yeah. Like you grow up your whole life wanting to play in a World Cup. This is the last game before that. Like you're going to go back to your clubs. I, I get it. But like I, I think I saw a team that was putting so much pressure, was feeling the nerves, the anticipation being in that camp. All the questions are about the World Cup in the lead up. All the questions are about the World Cup after. So you're trying to quantify this on – a team that you don't even know you're going to be a part of for sure yeah. yet. And that you're trying not to make a mistake. That's what I saw from that team because for the last three years, all we've been sold and I have seen it on the field too, is like this team is young. They're fearless. They're hungry. They're writing the wrongs of the past. They're embracing being the youngest team at the world cup, like all of that stuff. And we're going to go in there and we're going to rock it because we're insanely talented. But like, I didn't see that. I didn't see yeah. that in those games. Now, 20 minutes into the Wales game, we might be like, wow, this team looks incredible. But I, I can't say that for sure because of what I saw in those games and knowing that like when those lights turn on and the cameras and the national anthem and you're standing on that field with your hand over your heart, like what what are you going to do? Are you, yeah. you going to? Are you going to crumble or are you going to stand up, puff the chest out and go kick some ass? I've said that a lot lately. It's like the young team, the youngest team at the World Cup. I remember it did sound really cool and sexy. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my God, like this is like they're outliers, honestly, especially in the international game. But now I'm I'm even concerned that there might be deer in headlights. Like I've mentioned Mm -hmm. that a lot on the show, like especially the young strikers and not knowing who's going to be the striker. Uh, The back line is a problem. Um, You know, just to, to sort of switch it before we get into the Wales game. In hindsight, was there anything that you liked from this window? Is there anything that the U.S. is doing well? No, <laughs> I, I, I didn't like it. Like, again, like we lost to, to Japan. We got yeah. smoked in that game. First half was was awful. Um, but I OK, yeah, I mean, a, a couple of positives. I, I think what in the second half and it took to get to halftime for Greg to make the adjustment really and switch the way in which they were building out of the back and getting mm-hmm. two midfielders a little bit deeper. So they, they did show an ability to like. I wouldn't say problem solve right in the moment. That was one thing that worried me is that, that you don't have a guy yeah. on that team that you can look around that Tyler Adams is probably the closest to that. Um, but like, Hey, you come here, you come here, boom, boom, boom. Like that's how we're going to solve this. It was almost like a, Oh my God. Like uh, how do we solve it in the moment? Let's lump it long. Let's try and do this. Like we're conceding chances. That was the panic I saw. So yeah. it, it took into the second half to do that. They didn't concede a goal in the second game, but Saudi Arabia, I mean, they, they, you know, they played the super high line. They played uh, in a way in which you're not, I don't think we're going to see from any of the teams in the world cup. So yeah, I I didn't learn a lot to be honest. And I, I do, I do, I do try to reserve going over the top in singular player analysis on singular performances in that type of environment, because like it wasn't great from Pepe. It wasn't great from Aaron Long. It wasn't great. Like there weren't many that stood out that you said that mm-hmm. guy came out all right. Maybe Tyler Adams. I thought I thought Tyler was good over the two games. Yeah, Tyler. And, oh, Matt and, Turner. Sorry, Matt Turner. Matt Turner obviously like yeah. is now in clear contention to be the starter. We don't know if that's going to be if he's going to be the starter, but yeah, I mean he definitely put himself uh, like firmly in the conversation. I agree, Tyler Adams. 
his performance against, especially against uh, Saudi Arabia, which again, very flat performance overall, but still he looked like the guy at the Azteca in March that was just cleaning everything up, you know, all over the field, covering ground, not really worrying about distribution and possession, just being the guy that that midfield needed. Okay. So with all that being said, (laughs) you, again, Greg Berhalter doesn't have time. He doesn't have another camp. So what do you fix before the Wales match? Are there three things that you would focus on? So Wales versus the U.S. Wales play with a back three slash five. Uh, they play with three in front and they play with two, uh, three midfielders in front of the back five, and then two up front and Gareth Bale plus, you know, we're not, not even sure who their starter will be. Will Aaron Ramsey be fit for them? You know, they, they, they have a lot of question marks too around who their best um are their best players going to be healthy, but they're not a team that likes to dominate with the ball. Mm. Uh, so I expect the U S to have the possession in that game. Uh, although in saying that, like if you'd watch the U S over these last two games, if I'm an opponent, I'm thinking, Hey guys, like let's step up, let's put pressure on the back line. Let's force them to try and play out of the back and let's win possession. And let's play quickly in transition in their half. Like England will do that against us. Yeah. Iran could do that as well, but I just don't think that's in Wales's DNA. So, Look, there's you're gonna have if you're Greg Berhalter, you're gonna have six days, seven days with your players. That's so like it. you're not gonna see something radical out of this group. It's gonna be a back four. It's going to be Turner. You could probably predict if everybody's healthy what that lineup looks like. So it's just a matter of this team and the game plan in which they want to approach it. Like the fundamental principles will be the same in the way in which they want to build. But if Wales do come with X Y Z, can we play more direct? Can we get the ball up to? Jesus Ferreira in the pockets. Can we find Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna or whoever that might be? And so I, I think it's just a matter of this team being the aggressor and not being aggressed after as I, I think is the main thing that I would hope to see out of this game. Like let's, if we have to turn Wales in behind, let's let the guys step up. Let's let Musa, McKenney, Adams, like really played to their strength, which is mm-hmm. on the ball, very technically good, but also like using their physicality to dominate yeah. a game between those three guys. And so that's what I, I want to see is the tweaks to the, the, the overarching system and the, 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 the way in which we're going to approach the games, but doing it in a way that we can execute at a high level. And that's going to be the difference of us getting out of the group or not. I have a feeling that the Wales game, especially uh, it could come down to just like the intensity like we've talked about, like the great, like Wales is going to come out and say like, Hey, we, this is our, this is our moment. This is the moment they've been waiting for, for what? 58 years or something yeah, f- like that. 1958, I think. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. Something like that. Since 1958, but like they don't have anything to lose, you know? And I think I was listening to Eric Winaldo recently and he said, you know, their preparation has been better. They're, they're not winning games, but they're playing the Netherlands. They're playing Belgium. They're playing them into t- tight games. They're, they're, pl- they're being very competitive while the U S has fallen flat. Do, do you trust this t- this U.S. team to be the type of team that can be the that traditional U.S. team that just kind of like finds the grit and the knife between the teeth and wins games that way? Like that could come down. Yeah, to so like I, I think this could be a I think this could be a theme, and, and we'll see how European nations do in this World Cup. But the change in which they made to the Nations League and making look these were glorified friendlies before, right? Like, yeah. uh, and, and and in a way, they've dressed up the friendlies, but. It's given an opportunity to play competitive games. I mean, you saw England, Germany in the Nations League. The both teams were had nothing really to play for in terms of where they yep. would land, but that was like a real game. <laughs> you know, we played in an empty stadium in Spain, and that's because we couldn't get a European opponent because they're all playing these Nations yep. League games in high quality. So 
some of that, like, I guess in a perfect world, yeah, the U S would have played great teams, but it's, it's a lot harder than that. You know, I know, I know it's easy to sit there and point the finger now, but to like book teams and, and the way in which like Greg did want to play in Europe. So, you know, they, they, that narrowed down their, their list of who they could play. I thought Japan actually learned a lot from, but yeah, Wales, Wales have looked okay um, in, in those games, but even, you know, I covered a couple of them. I wouldn't say they looked great. uh, And, and uh, it's not a team that I watched and was like, Oh man, like this is going to be a hard game for the U S it's not a knockout hundred percent win, but it's a game that I think we should go in and expect to win. Yeah. I, I think Wales are still the weakest team in the group uh, when you think about it. So mm-hmm. um, that, that game I think decides the U S fate first game in your world cup historically will tell you if you lose that game, your chances of advancing are, you know, it's night and day. I think it goes from like 80% ish down to like 10 to 15%. Mm-hmm. So it shows you how important that first game will be to get even just a point, if not a win out of that against Wales. And if you win that, I think your chances of getting through are, are huge. Okay. So what have we learned perhaps about Christian Pulisic and the Christian Pulisic of today, not necessarily the window, just the Christian Pulisic in Europe, how he's being used under Greg Berhalter's system. I want to read to you just what Brian Dunseth, his comments from last week on his show, what he said, this is Brian Dunseth. And I quote, he's a really good player, but he's, he's a complimentary piece. He's not a focal point, And that's what people have to understand. He prefaced that by saying that we cannot trust Christian Pulisic due to injuries or just, he's not going to be the guy that might win you every single game. Do you agree with that? And, and what have you taken away from Christian Pulisic in the last year or so? I think Christian's at a tough moment in his career because look, when he was at Dortmund, he was 18, 17, 18, 19 years old. Like there's very few players in the world that would be the focal point, total star of their team at that age. Like yeah. it's Mbappe. And even then Mbappe was, you know, at Monaco and not at a big, big, big club. So I didn't have the expectation he would do that there. His next move is to Chelsea at Chelsea to be that guy. You're talking again about probably a top five player in the world. If you're a guy that's like the focal point of, of Chelsea. So he was always going to be a complimentary piece. I mean, the reality is they, they spent 60, 70, $80 million on guys like Kai Havertz and Timo Werner and Mason Mount, who, you know, came up through uh, that team. But, even then there's not like a single player you could pick out at Chelsea and say like, that's the focal point of our true, team, right? True. Like it's, it's a, so I, I would say that, yeah, it's pretty easy to say that right now, but Christian has never been bought by a club or put in a position where he's the focal point and he's the guy. And that's what I think his next move needs to be. I, I don't mm. think Chelsea's the right guy, uh, club for him right now. I think he's a guy that needs confidence that needs regular playing time. He's had some injury at some unfortunate moments. So even if given that opportunity, like, can you guarantee he's going to stay fit? No. Um, But he is that guy for the national team. And so, all right, let's think back to Panama, the game that we needed to win to to make sure we go to a World Cup. Pulisic scores a hat trick. Like, he scored some big goals for the U.S. in big moments. And he's a guy that's delivered in some big moments for Chelsea in the Champions League, scoring against Real Madrid in the semifinal um, scoring in quarterfinals, scoring in the in the group stage. So I think it's kind of unfair, and I don't agree with the fact that he is not a – he cannot be a focal point of a team. I think he has not been so far. I would agree with that. I think he's been in a club, and especially in a situation that you're complimentary. And the reality is, Felipe, like at a top team in the world now, like that's the role. Yeah. Chelsea, Man City, 
unless you're Erling Holland and Kevin De Bruyne, you're you're kind of rotating in yep. and out, and you're playing because they play so many games. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I would love his next move to be to a. I mean, you're probably talking about a team outside of the top four, right? A bit like right on the edge of that in 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 the Premier League, at least. Yep. But I think he could go to Spain and go to Atletico Madrid or Sevilla or, um, you know, clubs like that and be a, a really big player and score lots of goals and take on that responsibility. So we won't know until he gets that opportunity, but I do think that he needs to make that move in order to prove to himself that he could do it and also like take the next step in his career. Because I think right now if I'm thinking about a car – like he was ramping up at Dortmund and going from mm-hmm. first to second to third, you know, has the like acceleration in the fifth gear and then has to come shift back down. And I think to see the, the top speed, best Pulisic, like as a, as himself, he needs to be at a club. I think that, you know, he's being used every week and, and he has the opportunity to show that he can do that. Should, so should he be expected to carry the U S team? I mean, it's his first world cup too. And he, and he's just 23 years old. I mean, are we putting too much, on him and like, what does success look like for Christian Pulisic in Qatar? Yeah, like I think there's only very few people in the world that could could shoulder that responsibility and carry a team. And like, I, I think about a, a team like Egypt, right? Like, not in the World Cup um, this time, but Mo, Mo Salah Everything is, on Mo. Yeah. you know, Mo Salah is a guy that like you look at that is just head and shoulders above the rest of his teammates. Like, and every single time he's on the field, it's like, hey, Mo, do something, will you? Um, <laughs> You know, even Mbappe has a, a stacked French squad. Lionel Messi and Ronaldo have much better supporting cast than, you know, a a, a Christian Pulisic would. And that's why I mean, like, I think only the top 10 players in the world are guys that could consistently carry a team without some help from, you know, around. And you could get like by with sixes and sevens from those guys because, you know, that one guy is going to produce a, a, a 12 out of 10 every time. So, no, Christian, for the U.S. to be successful, they don't need him being the guy that's going to do something every single game. But I will say he's one of probably two, maybe three players in the U S that in a tight game is a guy that can produce that wow moment. And that, that something different that could separate a game. It's him. It's McKinney. And it's, you know, Gio Reyna has that, I think that, that talent, but again, like we don't know what we're going to see from him, but I think those are guys in terms of like the end product and a goal that will separate a game. Th- those are the only guys in the U S that I would say in the, are in that next level category. Okay. And then before we move on for the U S if it's not Christian Pulisic or, or alongside Christian Pulisic, who else on the U S team like really needs to emerge at the tournament to give this team a chance, not only to advance, but to like be successful, like be competitive, yeah. play good games. So I'll pick a player from each line. I think Matt Turner needs to be the goalie. I think he's a guy that can come up with a big save and that you trust, right? Like it's just you know when the, the ball's in the net, he's going to come and produce like a big save for you. I would say in the back line, it's Walker Zimmerman because we don't know who's going to be with him, and I think Walker's going to carry that big responsibility of having to be the vocal leader, the um, the communicator, the organizer, the all of the above, while still you know, coming up big on aerial crosses and defending and putting out fires defensively middle of the field. I think, man, that's, that's like, I think that's our strongest part of our team, but I like Eunice Musa, I think could be the breakout star. I I've said this a lot. I just think he has such a next level ability, but if there's a guy, I don't think we could do without it's Tyler Adams. Like Tyler Adams is the, the glue that just keeps everything together. And then forward line, like Pulisic's the easy one. We talked about him. 
but you 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 need something from that number nine position, man. Like if it's Ferreira, like you're gonna have to do a lot of dropping deep, the drawing guys out, creating space. Because one thing I've seen against Wales, they play very aggressive man-to-man type defense when they're a little bit deeper, and a center back will leave a hole and come into the midfield. Ferreira, that game plays nicely for him. He can drag center backs around with his movement. And then you're going to get space in behind, which I think Greg likes. And, you know, that's when Wea, Pulisic, Reyna. So, but we, we need goals. Like, we need goals. Yeah. We haven't scored goals. We also haven't created chances. Um, but, like, that needs to come from that position. And Ferreira has yet to show against a top-level opponent that he can put the ball in the back of the net. So if we don't get that, we're not getting out of the group. Yeah, Ferreira is interesting. Like, I, I like him because of what you just said. Against certain opponents that are going to be very stacked, very traditional in the back line, and that are just like, if you lump a ball forward, we're going to eat it up. You've, you've got to change it up. You need a guy that's going to make the runs, the diagonal runs, like move them around, and he can do that. The concern, as you mentioned, is he's not a finisher. He's just mm-hmm. not, he hasn't trained his entire life to finish. And at a World Cup, I feel like you really do need that sort of goal score. Uh, you know, Ricardo Pepe, is he the guy? You've talked about Jordan Pifok a lot. You know, what is it coming down to with Pifok? Do you think it's just, you know, Berhalter doesn't rate him, doesn't fit the system? Or what could it could he honestly be left out of the squad before World Cup, t- Cup time comes? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one because, like, Pifok, what he's done this season warrants a call up, like, undoubtedly. Okay. Like, Josh Sargent is having a good season, but didn't score in the top level. Uh, consistently in the premier league with Norwich and they're playing against much more difficult opponents drops down a level championship. They're one of the best teams in the league. Josh Sargent's Sargent's having a great year. So I think he's put himself back in that conversation. Ricardo Pepe at a top league didn't score at all or for a year, but goes to a lower division in Holland and he scored two goals in three games. Jordan Pifok goes from a lower division, scored a bunch of goals in Austria goes to the Bundesliga and scores a bunch of goals in the top league. He's our only striker right now that's scoring goals in a top four or five league in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, to me that warrants a call up of a guy, a that's confident B that I think can play in different ways. He's been in the camp before. So it's not like we're talking about a guy that us and Greg have never seen before. So there has to be something there unless Greg was like, I just want to see what these guys are like, but he hasn't said that publicly. Um, And I guess you would be hesitant to say that as a coach, because then you're like, putting more pressure on Sargent and and Pepe. Ferreira will be there. Ferreira will probably be our starting striker on the first day because he gets yeah. what Greg wants from that position the most. The good news is he is coming in off his highest goal-scoring season in his in his uh, career. He's having a great year for Dallas. He's I think it's 18 or 19 goals right now. But like that's in MLS and uh, against teams that Dallas are a good team this year. So they're, you know, the way in which they're playing, everything's clicking, everything's good. He's in confidence. I don't see that same confidence from him in front of goal at the national team level. No, it's just Games that quicker. shirt, that shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that shirt carries a weight, especially in that position. And like he scored what four against Grenada, um, mm-hmm. Granada. It's, it's not the same. And, but I, I think that he does a lot of good things. Well, if we can put him in that position where we're turning Wales over. He's pressing. He's, he's leading that line. He's got an incredible engine. He can run all day. And that, you know, those are little things that he does that go unnoticed, I think at times. So he has a lot of value. I know he's not the sexy pick for people, but I, I, I think at the cost of PFOC, like he has to be there. He has to, if he continues this for the next 30 days before the rosters announced, I, I think there would be, I think it would be a mistake not to bring him. 
then who do you drop? Who do you drop for PFOC? If he's taking three strikers, who are your three strikers? You know, I think it would depend on how these guys do at the club level right now. Uh, but if it was me, I would take Ferreira, Sargent, and I would take PFOC. Pepe would be go. be my my man out right now because but maybe that changes. I mean, if he lights up the air divise and scores 20, you know, 20 is unrealistic at that point, but double digit goals from now until mm -hmm. the world cup, like, yeah, he's in there and Sargent's probably out for me. Then it would be Ferreira, Pepe and PFOC. I just feel like at this point, like there isn't a lot of time for these guys to like really impress, you know, it's like, it reminds me of Luis Enrique, you know, Spain's national team coach said recently, which was great. He was like, listen, like I pick guys that may not be playing, with their clubs and all you guys are going to ask me, why are you picking this guy? Because he, I pick him because he does what I need him to do. I mm -hmm. see him do it. And I think that's where Berhalter probably is, you know, like at this point, you know, can he expect Pepe to score 10, 15 goals before the world cup? Like probably not. Uh, and so it's just going to come down to but, who he thinks. But will, I, will I would say Felipe, like this, the striker position is unique in that so much of it comes down to confidence in front yeah. of goal. And, that you know, that's the difference between a guy taking a shot and not taking a shot, and yep. uh, you know, the the shot that's a good quality shot versus off balance, and you know, all of that. So, I think that's the one position. I I absolutely agree with you. I think that's why guys like Christian Roldan and Paul mm -hmm. Ari Paul Ariola is having a great year too. Uh, you know, he's been a horse for the he's U.S., but also he's a, he's a known quantity. Like he's yeah. Greg knows what he's going to get from that guy, and he's probably not going to start a single game, but he might come on and and give Greg exactly what he wants in that moment and can still execute at a high level. So it's, it's guys like that. You're right. That, that will be in the mix because they complement the bigger group and that's, what's most important. And that's where the coaches, it lies, comes back on them of picking the best ingredients yep. into a recipe that make the best meal, as opposed to like working with, you know, different bits and bobs. And, you know, we got some parsley here, but this guy's a filet mignon, but he doesn't, you know, fit with we're cooking fish tonight. You know, I'm going full no, foodie here, but you, you, you know what you. I mean? It's like yeah. the sum of the collective. And I think that's been the problem for the U S is that individually very talented, but very young and experienced. And that's also, you know, why I feel like a guy like Tim Ream should be in the mix at center back too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Jack Collins, one of our hosts for the Athletic Soccer Show, big Fulham guy, big Fulham guy. That is his hometown club, and he was just raving. He's watched every minute of Fulham, and he was just yeah. like, Tim Ream is playing out of his mind. And my, my answer, to, my response to that was like, with the back line, I'm at a point where I understand that Miles Robinson, who I see every day here in Atlanta, it's a, it's a massive loss because of what mm -hmm. he gives you athletically and tactically. You can push the team forward. You can kind of count on him. 
uh, you know, to put out fires and stuff. But like at this point, knowing that he's not an option, it really does feel like it's like a football thing. It's like you need players. You need guys that know how to play at the back. No, you know, that'll organize the team in, in a dicey moment. And it seems like Tim Ream is that guy. Like, yeah. why not call him up? So- and, and and the 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 touted line from certainly from Burhalter and from the U.S. has been well you know even for a guy like John Brooks who is well it's the high line defending it's speed behind goal so I've been thinking a lot about this between him and and Tim Ream and some of the other guys there's a little flawed thinking there in that the last two games exposed this for me is that we did not play with a high line in either game why against Japan we couldn't get out of our half exactly so. You know, and in a World Cup against England, are we going to be playing a high line? Most likely Probably not. not, no. And against Wales, maybe. Iran, we'll see. But it's more likely a middle-of-the-field type of game where we're not going to be fully dominating with the ball because I don't think our, our center backs are capable of, you know, that, that are, like, outstanding on yeah. one side of, like, in possession. And so that's where I think a guy like, you know, Reem has some real value in, in a guy that can play out of the back, that is an experience, that has an old... Uh, an old head in that in that sense, and is a guy that some of the young guys might look like and look and hey, what do we do now? And uh, you know, I get it. He's not a he's not a sexy pick. He he hasn't he had a he got pretty exposed in the uh, Nations League final, right against Mexico. Yeah, when, when Linus came on. Yeah, Linus yeah. came in and ripped him up, and he was playing as a left back yeah. um, because that was the way we wanted to kind of rotate him around, and that part didn't work. Like he's not going to play as a left back anymore. He's a center yeah. back. Um, so I yeah, I mean we could we could. Beat this one. That happened twice. But that happened, I'm going I'm to get to Mexico. But speaking of Mexico, that happened twice to Tim Ream with Tata Martino on the opposite sideline. He he singled him out in the 2019 Gold Cup as well. He saw him on that side. He overloaded the U.S. left side with multiple players, and they just ran at him. Yeah. So that's probably still in Greg's head. And then obviously you bring on Linez, and he just like diced him and scored. Uh, but I agree with you. I think in a World Cup. Yes, you can see those types of players, but not necessarily. You don't have to. Maybe you don't start them against England. You know, maybe that's yeah. a different look. But against Wales, like where you want to keep the ball, you want to be smart, you want to be clean. He could be. A there, good there's also value within the group. You know, like yeah, it's true. It's uh, yeah. It, 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 but that's that's where Greg's got to make his decision. Who, by the way, has never been to a World Cup as a coach. That's another and thing. Um, that's another thing. And but Greg, what I would say, one of the really good things that he has done as a coach is. In tournament settings, his teams have performed really well. Nations League final, Gold Cup final, you know, down the list, like Gold Cup with an A, uh, with a B group as well. He's shown an ability with his team and his players to pick the right guys in the right moments, get the most out of certain guys, rotations, picking lineups uh, in finals. I remember even the, the, the final against Mexico in Vegas where George Bellow started and, yeah. um, uh, Eric Williamson and just some guys that you were like, what? These guys have barely played a minute in this game and they rolled Mexico, man. They played great in that game. So like that, that I think should give you some confidence and that like, you know, you got to trust the coach at this point. I know it's it's always the easy guy to blame. Greg is not perfect for sure. He's made his fair share of mistakes, but ultimately as a coach of the U S men's national team, you're judged on, can you get the team to a world cup? Can you win gold cups and beat Mexico consistently? And then can you perform at a World Cup and get out of your group? We're going to find out the third part of that uh, this November. Yeah, I mean, he's checked a ton of boxes leading up to this tournament. Uh, but man, what a perfect segue. You've mentioned 
how it's always on the coach. We pin so much responsibility on the coach. Let's talk about Mexico <laughs> and Tata Martino, who is the self-proclaimed public enemy number one in that football mad country. Uh, you know, recently I saw that you picked Mexico to not get out of the group. Do you still believe that right now? I do. I do. Um, Mexico, incredibly talented, especially in the forward part of the field. But I, I'm thinking about this team now, and uh, we even Alexi and I were going through this on air on Sunday off air. We were talking about you know trying to pick Mexico's lineup and Canada's lineups for what we thought we might see at the World Cup. Mexico have some big questions too. I mean, we think about the U.S. and you know question mark goalkeeper, center back, center forward, three big positions. Mexico don't know who their center forward's going to be. You know, like uh, we don't even know if Jimenez will make it to the World Cup. Uh, if he doesn't, who's the starter? Is it Funes Mori? Is it Henry Martin? Is it Jimenez? Like they have different options. Their midfield now, Guardado is uh, is his fourth World Cup, I believe. It's, he's uh, going for five. This will be fifth. his fifth Sorry, World Cup. Right. Him fifth and Ochoa are going for five. Yep. Ochoa fifth. Um, Hector Herrera, who's you know older now, and they haven't been able to really get that next generation of the the Charlie Rodriguez is kind of pushing them out and to get yep. somebody else in, and then combine that with still Tata like figuring out for them to score goals uh, and, and what formation works best for them. And I mean, they stuck with the same formation, but like within that, the right personnel and the right pieces. And yeah, I mean, Tata's I, I, at one point, I didn't think Tata was going to make it to None the world cup and he, he will make it uh, barely. And you can believe if, if they don't have even a, uh, if they don't get the Quinto Partido, he's gone for sure. Um, and I, yeah, I just think that they opened the tournament against Poland they're not coming in in great form. Poland are, I would say, a, a lesser team just in terms of collective talent, but they yeah. have a game changer, a, an, an assassin up front in Lewandowski. Zielinski's a good player for them. Um, and, and they're pesky. The yeah. Charlotte Swiderski might be a big player yeah, for them. Yeah, Swiderski as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, Buxa, uh, we've got a lot of uh, former MLSers all yeah. in kind of the mix there. And it's it's a tough one, and then your second game's Argentina. So good luck if like you need if you don't get a win in the first game and you need something out of a team that I think is the favorite to win the World Cup. Yeah. So Mexico, first of all, you know Tata could get to the semifinal, and he's not coming back to Mexico. I'll tell you <laughs> that right now. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but it's it is interesting. Like what? Can't wait to legacy. see him at Atlanta United next year again. <laughs> by the way. Oh, don't tell Gonzo that. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. You know, it's like. It's interesting what his legacy will be because right now it's 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 just not good regardless of what happens. Um, I tend to think that he, if I were to compare the U.S. and Mexico, the one edge I give Mexico, even though the U.S. has just dominated them when it mattered this year, I think tactically Mexico's in a better place. Like they know what Tata wants, they can play with the back five, they can play three, they can play four. Like all those things are good to go. Like they, he was bombarded with questions before or after the Columbia loss. And he was like, we can, we can play those ways. Like we've done it. I can bring guys that have never played with us and they know what to do. So all those things are aligned. I agree with you though, that even in this game against Poland, who, you know, we saw Poland in 2018, Columbia routed them in a big game when both teams needed it. They didn't show up. Um, I just I feel like, you. <laughs> I remember you did that game. I, I mean, I, I hello. I was like, I went off yeah. <laughs> so excited. That, that was a huge win for us. Um, but what I see from Poland is just like, they just, they will run until they can't run anymore. Like they will be intense. They will challenge every ball. They'll, they'll challenge you to win the second ball. They'll, they'll, they'll feed Lewandowski until he can't eat anymore. And if Mexico 
doesn't contain that, they could lose that game. Um, are you concerned about what that does for Mexican football? Like if this team crashes out, you know, this is the country that we are aligning ourselves with at the league level. Mm-hmm. Uh, internationally, it's going to be a relationship that will never go away. It's only going to get stronger. Are you concerned that this could be just like the darkest hour for Mexico and Qatar? Yeah, well, Mexico uh, is forever in crisis. We know that. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, there, there's always something, again, like going back to the U.S. a little bit, the, the highs and lows, but a pressure put on a nation because it is such a big soccer uh, culture yeah. and they live, breathe, eat it. Uh, but I would say it would absolutely send the alarm bells ringing at, at 10 decibels higher because they're already going uh, at what the U S have done to the Mexico in the last two years in this cycle specifically. Cause I think four years ago, there was a feeling of like, we're dusting the floor of this team. The yeah. US are not making 2018. Our youth national teams are cruising. Um, you know, they had the golden generation that won the Olympics back in London in 2012. Yeah. And, but now, you know, you have a Mexican national team that didn't qualify at youth levels as well. Now the top team, you know, they ended up getting second in CONCACAF behind uh, Canada. But but still, I think the ex- that's like a foregone, you need to qualify for a World Cup. And they did right. that. But if they don't get out of the group, like you said, like th- this is a team that th- the search is about the fifth game. It's not yeah. about the fourth game. They know they can get to the fourth game. And uh, I think that if that national team struggles there's still a lot of like you know they're losing a couple dual americans to the u.s now like the the rumblings get bigger and they're going to really do a self-evaluation i believe on league mx and some of the the policies that they've enacted to you know limit foreigners into the league to give more young mexican players opportunities but then that hasn't worked the way that they'd hoped and wanted and so now that becomes the question of like well how far is our league going to fall behind MLS and MLS won CCL for the first time. And they've got us there too. So <laughs> like, instead of them coming into the conversation of a merger with MLS as big brother, it becomes like, Oh man, do, how we really need MLS to kind of push our league to that next level from a U.S. perspective. That's what you want. You know, it's league MX is still the most watched league in the United okay. States. Um, there's that league will never lose its popularity because Mexican fans just live it and eat it and just lap it up. It's generational. And, uh, yeah, but like from a talent perspective, it's going to become harder and harder to keep recruiting top talent and pushing your next level of players to maintain a high standard. They're, they're limited right now. I see a limited side. Like I see players that can change it for you. Like if, if Lozano's on, like he can just be a game winner for you. And I think yeah. Tata has experience in taking, you know, Paraguay in 2010, and they were like, "We're going to win one near one nil games every single, you know, every single timeout." Uh, I think he's prepared them for that eventuality. But I, my, my biggest concern for them is that they just don't have dynamic playmakers. They have Lionez, yes, but he's he's their off the bench guy. And if you're yep. resorting to him, you might be in a tough spot. I saw quickly. I was talking to League MX executive the other day, and he was like, "You know, we know Argentina." Like we, that they're they're like our foe, our rival in World Cups. Like we know them. Like we're going to be confident playing against them. But what they always do is that they pull these guys like Maxi Rodriguez, Carlos Tevez, Lionel Messi, and they're the ones that win the games. And they're that's the difference. Like we don't yeah. have players like that. So I think talent level is the biggest concern for Mexico moving forward, as you've said. Yeah. Um, okay. So quickly, we're gonna get to the five questions the, the, the rapid fire questions with Stu holden i do want to ask sure. you though about being a club owner or part of an ownership group okay um you are part of an ownership group along steve nash and other american investors in la liga's majorca 
first of all, how did you get into that? And what is your role? Like, are you involved in the sporting side of that club? Yeah. So how I got into it was I was uh, rehabbing a knee injury, trying to figure my life out here in LA to see if I wanted to be a broadcaster or trying to give it one more time playing. I was working back. Steve and I became really good friends over the, you know, that five, four years prior, we would play soccer together once, twice a week. We would always sit after soccer because, you know, we were pro athletes and had nothing else to do at that moment. And we would sit and grab coffee or a beer on the beach and just kind of sit around and chop shop. And Steve's a massive soccer fan. He got a call from the owner of the Phoenix Suns who said, uh, we're very interested in exploring owning a club in Europe and uh, we'd love to bring you in. And Steve was like, I would love to, because A, I'm a soccer fan. That's why you called me. But B, I know nothing about European soccer and I'd love to bring uh, a buddy in. And so Steve calls me. He's like, hey, do you want to be a part of this? I had dinner uh, with the the group and it was quickly um, a great relationship that got started. We didn't decide on Mallorca at that point. We were looking at clubs in Scotland, Spain, uh, lower, lower, lower division, England, Italy, just kind of all around to get a sense for what might work best for us. And ultimately, then we landed on a beautiful um, <laughs> island off the coast of Spain called Mallorca. That is just like a one of like the little gems of the world. And yeah, fell in love with the club and the people and the culture there. What my role was? Well, it, it started initially as, you know, owner. I mean, I invested capital into the team. Uh, and also an advisor uh, to ownership. So on soccer affairs and high level decisions, you know, hires on the sporting side, on the uh, the technical side, you name it. I, I went into this knowing, hey, I, I'm still a recently retired player. I don't know anything about the being a club owner. And I want to learn from guys that have been very successful with the Suns. And also understanding when you're thousands of miles away in Los Angeles, there's only so much you can do without getting there and meeting people and spending time and learning culturally what it means to people and what the club is about. So I took a very hands-off approach at the beginning of just wanting to learn and build relationships. And then over the years now, this is our sixth year of owning the club. Um, I speak with our CEO very often, um, at least once a week. I speak to our sporting director twice a week. I'm looking at players. Um, I'm probably our North American scout in many ways. And that like, if players are jumping out to me, I shoot them yeah. to our guys and we vet them. We have a system and um, it, it all kind of fits together. But I guess that the easiest way to explain it is like, I'm, I'm putting out fires left and right and um, plugging gaps, I think is, okay. is, is more appropriate where I'm helping to facilitate connections and introduce people and, you know, help open our group's eyes to American soccer and some of the things that I think we're doing great here on the, you know, the training grounds and facilities and sports science and bring best practices from here back to Spain. And then the same thing back and forth and managing relationships and obviously watching our team play every single week. And pre pandemic, I was going there three to four times a year. Okay. The pandemic made it a little more difficult, but then I just got back from Madrid. We watched our team play against uh, Rayo Vallecano and win, which was really awesome. And it's, uh, I'm hoping to get over there again early in the spring after kind of the world cup craziness is done. So of all the stuff that I do, I love, I love my job. Um, outside of that, like Mallorca is probably my biggest passion. No, not wow. talking family and wife and kids. Cause I'll get yeah, in yeah. trouble, but like I, I do of anything that I've ever invested in or just been a part of it's, it's one of the things I love the most. Cause I've learned just so much and, uh, the feeling of like watching your team 
play in a game in a stadium and the promotion and the highs and lows that we've had. It's, um, it's, it's, it, yeah, I've aged about five years and I've loved every second of it. it I mean, that sounds amazing. Like, and first of all, it's my Jordica. It's not, I mean, they have a history. People forget like Samuel Eto'o yeah. started there. Like this was, uh, this is a 20 plus back. years in La Liga. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they've had some big time players. Javier Aguirre, former Mexican national team coach is the manager there. So there's a relationship there with North America as well. Uh, yeah, quick story. Actually, I met him for the first time in Madrid, okay. uh, like on a personal level. And we were talking chopping shop uh, about just, you know, the team and this and that. And I said, Hey, Javier, you know, we have some history. You might not remember, but the gold cup final 2009, the worst game of my career that I've ever been a part of. They spanked us on giant stadium five zero. Oh he goodness. was the coach. And him and I had like a little exchange on the sideline at one point and, was, you know, like <laughs> some unpleasantries shared both ways. And then I, I'll never forget, they celebrated on the field in the locker room next to us. And hmm. I just said, you know, thanks a lot, man. I didn't want to like you until you started doing well with Mallorca because you guys kicked our ass on that day. And uh, he was he was laughing a lot. And, you know, he started complimenting Bob Bradley and different things. But it was it was a cool moment because it's great to see him. He's He's been wonderful yeah. for us. Yeah, he's a good coach. He he's he's well known in Spain. Obviously, he has a history there. I mean, tough loss over the weekend. I mean, one nil to Barcelona. Yeah, but we played well. We we yeah. played well. Um, I mean, and we've I, taken some beatings from the big boys before, where we've played awful. We we hung in there, and we almost scored in the second half a couple of times, and actually had Barca on the ropes for a bit. They didn't play well, but I say, of all the people, like, hey, Barca played like crap. I was like, well, we played pretty well actually yeah, to limit yeah. them. So like, give us some dues, but. Uh, we have a huge game at the weekend. We play Elche, which is, you know, their bottom of the table. Like those are the games that really matter for us to make sure we get points in like a Barca. If you, if you get one point of that uh, yeah, or three is a huge bonus, huge. you know, Rajo Vallecano. I heard that pronunciation. Look at that. Si, señor. Si, taking señor. Spanish lessons. We talked offline. You're taking <laughs> Spanish lessons. Yeah. Where, my, my, my ultimate goal, I think by 26, hopefully way before that, but like for 26, I would love to be able to be thrown to, and do a live translation interview with a Spanish speaking player and translate it back in English. Like I feel confident I could live translate right now, but not speak in a way that I, somebody's not like that guy's a bit of a donkey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It's brave, man. You're brave. That's what it takes. You just got to go for it. All right. Yeah. We're going to go to the spot kick. The spot kick was too holding. Remember these are five questions. Like I've, it's evolved a little bit. It's usually like a B yes. No. The point is like, you've got to just be, You've got to stick to your answer. All right. This is like taking a penalty. You're very good at your oh, penalties, man. by the way, Stu. We remember your PKs. You go top bins. Top bins. Yeah. Nothing so, but the top corner, baby. Nothing but the top <laughs> corner for Stu Holden. So let's go. Let's go. Spot kick number one with Stu Holden. Will Jesse Marsh be the next U.S. men's national team coach? Yes or no? Yes. Why do you believe that? I think that the lifespan of a coach at the level that Jesse is at in the English Premier League is two years or sometimes a lot less than that. I hope Jesse is still the coach of Leeds for many, many years. But I think also Jesse is uh, is a very high profile coach now when it comes to American coaches abroad. Mm. Uh, and this is, you know, assuming also that that is he's available that Greg, if Greg gets out of the group and has a great run, I think Greg will be your coach in 26. Oh, but wow. I, I think there's a very good chance that uh, Jesse Marsh would be the next kind of best choice for us national team coach. Interesting. I, when I watch Leeds United, sometimes I, f I find myself thinking that this is how the U S could play 
in the future. Like there are certain players I'm like, okay, I could see this happening. All right, spot kick number two, a better World Cup final in Qatar. Brazil versus Argentina or Argentina versus Portugal? Messi Ronaldo for for the top top. Yeah, this is this has actually been a debate internally at Fox Sports when we talk about our ideal. We had this exact conversation at a dinner the oh, other night with all the go. World Cup talent. So you're on the pulse, and I think almost at the end of the day, the unanimous decision was that Messi versus Ronaldo for all the marbles and the like ability to stake your claim as the goat and like what's at stake in their careers. And from a global storyline standpoint, there's nothing bigger. Like Argentina, Brazil is epic, yeah. but like Messi versus Ronaldo is just, that's, <sighs> that's the the behemoth, man. That's, that's Jordan versus LeBron, right? Like yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's goat level status. I would, I would love for that. It's the end all. It's like the end all of that debate. It ends right there. Like no one like else. Movie, it would be like a movie script, right? Like yeah. these two superheroes fight their own path. To like, <laughs> or you could have a superhero versus one as a villain. You can decide yeah. who's who. Um, but they end up meeting in this like total battle at the end. And it's a winner takes all. Like that would be just epic. And it's it's so big that like even Brazil, Argentina, they've never obviously never been a World Cup final. People talk about that and think like that's unthinkable. Like that yeah. would be something that the, the the world would collapse with that. All right, spot kick number three. Will France crash out in Qatar? No, France will absolutely get out of the group stage. France, I think, have done a good job of not falling into the trap of some of the previous World Cup champions, the three who have not made it out of the group mm-hmm. stage, and that they have really reinvigorated their team with some young, exciting <sighs> talent. And Good. also to think, by the way, not just young, they're going to have Benzema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, FYI. Uh, Chouameni, you know, like the, the list goes on. They, they are stacked. Uh, Nkunku could be one of the breakout stars. He's having yeah. a terrific couple of years now for um, RB Leipzig. So I, I think that they have enough younger guys that have freshened up that team that are pushing even the guys that would be starting maybe, like Griezmann and... And Golo Kante, perhaps, or Pogba, if, if he makes it fit. So, no, I think I think France are absolutely out of the group stage. All right, yeah, they're they're very, very, very deep. It's like one of the deepest teams in the World Cup, and they happen to be the defending world champions. All right, spot kick number four. Would you trade? I mean, hello, we're talking to a, a club owner here. <laughs> would you trade or sell Joseph Martinez in the off season? I would sell Joseph Martinez if I Why? was uh, the upper executives of Atlanta United. I think that so now if I'm putting my business hat on, you're going to, you, Joseph is a distressed uh, asset and what he was two years ago because Mm -hmm. pre ACL and then what he's done post ACL and now a couple more years on the legs, like you're not talking nearly the same amount of transfer fees. So that's got to be the conversation for them. It's mostly though. Do you believe that you can get Joseph Martinez back into a place where he's fully bought into what the team are doing on and off the field, that he's as motivated as he was previously. And then also, is he the same player that he was? I I haven't seen that Joseph. I, you know, he had the, the wonder goal uh, the other day against new England, they lost the game. So, you know, is he doing what he needs to do as part of a, a team effort and just not this individual striker? Cause he's not, he's not moving the same way in the box. He doesn't have the same burst of speed. So then that's going to start be the, a meter. Pineda yeah, will start him. So. Starting. Play, the guy's playing off the bench. Um, but I, I think still with his record as a goal scorer, you would have value. You're probably, probably your greatest values within MLS, like another mm-hmm. team, maybe like uh, LAFC or Seattle Sounders, dare I say, like a team like that, um, even though they have Rui Diaz. 
but there would be big value for him in MLS. I don't think anybody would pay what Atlanta would want outside, but I, I think that the Joseph thing has run its course. Hmm. And I think that it's also a position you could go out and invest money and get somebody that's a younger profile. And that would have the type of sell on. I think that Atlanta United think about when they're thinking of players that they're buying for bigger uh, price target. Wouldn't you love to just just see him in Orlando? I mean, just for the just for the bands, <laughs> just for the bands. I mean, and, and people are mentioning Portland too. I mean, you've yeah, got, Portland, he's got the, Savarese Portland, there. One, yeah. You know, yeah, they, Seattle's they, not likely with uh, Rui Diaz, but uh, you know, I, I I would just think of big teams that would go out and say like, hey, a guy like that would make a big difference for us. Yeah. All right. Final spot kick, number five, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, so I'm just going to bring it up again. Has the U.S. men's national team been overhyped? I, I wrestle with this with this one all the time because I think, again, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, our job, I, I feel, and my job specifically to is to analyze with context, uh, you know, analyze based on my experiences and my knowledge and my history within the game. Uh, I, I would say that this team generally has been overhyped, I think, for – they have a huge amount of potential though. So I, I, that's the part where I, I go back and forth because in terms of potential, I think we should be excited about this team. And I think you should allow yourself to be excited. What I think I underestimated and what I thought might be the case in qualifying, but they proved me wrong in times, but it's still a team that finished third. It's not like they won all of CONCACAF enrolled is that sometimes the big moments and the big pressure moments um, the team hasn't delivered. Like the game against Mexico at home delivered 100%. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that I've seen a group of guys yet that have matched their potential at the club level and have been not one of those guys is, you know, a, a marquee mm-hmm. can't live without guy at the club level. Weston's probably working his way yeah. there at times, close, but still he's close. at Juventus. Um, Tyler Adams is doing that, but he's at, at, at Leeds. He, he's doing that. Aronson, but they're still guys again that are um not like these are the the main 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 guy that's the right. one guy and it's it's still going to be a team that's still finding out its identity and its character so i i think we've overhyped and people are starting to talk about like quarterfinals and semifinals and things like that i don't think that's realistic but it's hmm. this is still a very good team it's still a team with a ton of potential and it's still a team that should get out of the group so if that's your expectation no you've not overhyped this team if you're thinking that the u.s could be in a world cup final you've absolutely overhyped it and you're thinking about this the wrong way uh, specifically in 2022. I mean, golden generation, like when you put that on a, t- on a group of players like that automatically is really tough. I mean, ask, ask Belgium, ask Portugal back in the, in the early two thousands, they couldn't win it when they had that uh, stamped on them. It feels like this is, is somewhat of a heavy burden for this team as yeah, well. But, but, but this is in reality, our golden generation. If you look at the clubs that guys are playing at, we've never yeah. in our history had that amount of guys playing at top sure. level teams in top leagues. Um, you know, even going back to our team in 2010, we had a lot of guys in Europe, but it was Bolton's Fulham's um, Blackburn's Everton's like not Borussia Dortmund or what was Dortmund's, but you know, Oh yeah. Dortmund with Gio, Chelsea, AC Milan, like big, big teams, you know, Juventus, these are clubs that we haven't had guys at like playing this much before in the past. So I think if they got to be able to handle that pressure, I mean, this is a world cup. It's not uh, a world cup qualifying anymore. For me, having Americans at top Serie A teams for me is like the big game changer. That for me is like, wow, like I know Des is on loan and he needed a place to go. 
but that that's a league that you know there hasn't been an American presence since when since since Lawless since Alexia yeah. Lawless yeah yeah really I mean honestly so uh, Stuart Holden thank you so much what a pleasure it was once again to catch up uh, again reminder Fox Sports is the English language rights holder for this World Cup in Qatar. Uh, Stu Holden and John Strong will be the lead announced team for that World Cup. You'll hear them throughout the, the month of November and December. Thank you so much for coming on, Stu, and best of luck in Qatar. I'll see you there. Felipe, muchas gracias para, por invitarme a tu podcast. Muy bueno. Y uh, estoy uh, listos para el Mundial. Vamos. Vamos, Stu. Buenísimo. Buenísimo.